0: Well Shabbat Shalom everybody If you join me in Bible study tonight Please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8 As we begin tonight in verse 24 Talking about hope Verse 24 says For we were saved in this hope But hope that is seen is not hope For why does one still hope for what he sees very logical very reasonable but what does it mean the hope he's talking about is the hope of the resurrection and the rapture so keep a finger here and go to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 Thessalonians chapter 4 People tell me all the time, Paul thought the rapture was going to come in his lifetime. I don't think he did. That's why he was saying hope that is seen. Well, you don't hope for that anymore. You've got there. You've seen it. But hope is what we have for that which has been promised but not yet fulfilled in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning verse 13, he calls us ignorant, but we'll get over that. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. By that he means those who died as believers. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Who are those who have no hope? Those are the lost, the unsaved. For if we believe Yeshua died and rose again. How many of you believe that? He died and rose again. Absolutely. So God will bring with him those who sleep in Yeshua. So God will bring with him when he returns from heaven. How can he do that if the dead and Messiah are not in heaven already? If we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Meaning, don't worry about your loved ones that have died as believers. You won't get to heaven before they do. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. What's another word for that shout? A teruah. With the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead of Messiah will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That is the hope. That is that which we are waiting for. If we go back to Romans 8, verse 23 was about eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. That is our body to be changed from this corruptible body to immortal, to incorruptible, to that which will no longer die or get sick or age. Yeah, that's the hope that we were saved in. That those who are true believers in Messiah have eternal life to look forward to, not just life in this age. What did Paul say in First Corinthians 15? Let's turn over there. If we have hope in this life only, we're of the, mo- of the we're most pitiful. Essentially, is what he said. But well, let's First Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 19, 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. If in this life only we have hope in Messiah, we are of all men the most pitiable. That is, if there is no rapture and resurrection, if there is nothing beyond this world, then why would we be wasting our time worshiping a God who's not going to fulfill what he said? But you know what? That's not my God. When my God makes a promise, my God keeps it. The first coming Messiah, as you know, he kept down to the very hour that he said it would happen. It happened exactly as he said. In 1 Kings chapter 13, God named Joash and others. It's just... It it thrills my heart any time I think about prophecies that God has made in the past that have been fulfilled down to the minutest detail, because that's the kind of God we have. But about this hope, let's go to Romans 15, verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever things were written before, that means in the Old Testament, were written for our learning. So we in the New Testamental period learn from that which was written in the Old Testament. If we don't, we can come away with an entirely wrong understanding of Scripture. That we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have Hope. But the rapture and resurrection, they weren't taught in the Old Testament, were they? True. Oh, they were. Let's go back to Isaiah 26 and see how specifically it was taught. Isaiah 26. Verses 19 to 21. I've listened to a whole bunch of preachers this week tell me that the, the rapture is a, well, it was a nice thought, but you know, it's not biblical. It's not in the Bible anywhere. To which my response is, you ought to try reading it. But Isaiah 26, 19, it says, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awaken, sing you who dwell in dust. That singing is in Revelation chapter 5. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Is this the only place in the Old Testament that talks about the resurrection? No, also in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2. It tells us there are two resurrections, one to life, one to death. Verse 20 says, come my people. That's where the rapture gets involved here. Because not all of the Lord's people will have died before this trumpet call. Come, my people, enter your chambers. What kind of chambers? Bridal chambers. Who goes into the bridal chamber with the bridegroom? The bride. So in the rapture and the resurrection, Messiah is coming for his bride. And he brings him into the bridal chamber. Says, and shut your doors behind you. Think about Noah and the ark. When Noah and his family got on the ark, what happened to the door? It's shot behind them to protect them. A week before the rains fell. It says, hide yourself as it were for a little moment. If a day is to the Lord as a thousand years, how long is seven years? Just a moment. Until the indignation is passed. That word for indignation in Hebrew is za'am, Z-A apostrophe A-M. That's the wrath of God being poured out in the tribulation period. Where are God's people in the bridal chambers when the indignation is released? They're in the bridal chambers, which are in heaven. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place. That is when the indignation is over, the tribulation period comes to an end. Revelation 19, 11, Messiah returns. To punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. Another word for iniquity is lawlessness. The earth will also disclose her blood, talking about all those innocents that were killed. And will no more cover her slain. Let's go also to Galatians chapter 5 verse 5. So the purpose of the Old Testament is it's there to teach us that we can trust God. When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. The scripture says what? I'm not a man that I should lie nor the son of man that I should change my mind. Does God say my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my mouth? So if he promised the rapture and resurrection... Do you think it might come? It definitely will. Galatians chapter 5 verse 5 tells us this. For we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. It's another way of referring to the rapture and the resurrection. The time when this body changes from mortal to immortality. From corruption to incorruption. The hope of righteousness by faith. Go also to Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 23. We may as well start in 21 so we don't start in the middle of a sentence. And you. Who, me? Yes, you. Who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yep, that was me. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh. That's Messiah's body. Through death. That's his death on the cross. To present you holy. That's the same word as in Holy Spirit. And blameless, that's tamim, without spot or blemish. And above reproach in his sight, if. See that word, if? That's an important word. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, I heard some very famous preachers just today say once you walk down that aisle you are saved, you are sealed, you can't lose your salvation, you can't walk away from it, nothing can take you away from it. Why then is there this if you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast? And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So this hope of the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven. That kind of sounds like we're all without excuse, doesn't it? I would have then gone to 1 Thessalonians 4, but I already did that. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5. I need to work on my impulse control. First Thessalonians 5 8. But let us who are of the day, that is, those who are saved by faith, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. What does it mean, the hope of salvation? That is, we through faith believe that when the trumpet blows, Messiah will take us home. Titus chapter 1. Oh, Titus is not very far after Thessalonians. It's right after Timothy, because all the T's are in alphabetical order in the New Testament. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised when? Before time began. God promised eternal life before time began. Because Yeshua is that lamb slain from what? From the foundation of the world. All this is going to come into play tonight in a couple verses when we hit that word called predestined. Staying in Titus, though, let's go to chapter 2, verse 3. That can't possibly be right, can it? Nope. Sure looks like 2, 3. It's
1: do, 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 not do, do, do.
0: verse 8. Uh, it's 13. Not 3, it's 13. Uh, Already,
1: highlighted.
0: Already highlighted. You've been there before. You must have read your Bible in the past. <laughs> we'll start in verse 11 for context. For the grace of God. What is Grace unmerited favor that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's been offered to all. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope. What is that blessed hope? It's the rapture and the resurrection. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Does that verse call Yeshua our great God? Most certainly does. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He didn't redeem us from every lawless deed so that we could go commit more lawless deeds. No. But that would be, we would be zealous. What does it mean to be zealous? Passionate about.
1: All in.
0: All in for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Paul tells Titus. Okay, back to Romans chapter 8. Verses 24 and 25. If we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, the white one still hope for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We eagerly wait for it, meaning we want it, we want it, we want it. But with perseverance, yeah, but we got to keep wanting it until God provides it. Perseverance means that we must not swerve from th- our faith by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So Paul was telling the road To eternity may not be easy. Did God promise us a bed of roses? No. Did he promise us great wealth and accolades and fame throughout the world? No, he didn't. Let me go ahead and put that on mute because I think that might have been a boo-boo. But verse 26 says, likewise what does that mean likewise in the same way the Spirit the Holy Spirit also helps in our weakness that is when we face trials and tribulations in this world and there will be and there will be the temptation to give up hope the Holy Spirit will help us hang on it says for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He is our helper, this says. Did Messiah promise us a helper? Let's go see. John chapter 14. If Messiah promises a helper, he'll provide us one. But you have to look and see to whom the promise is made. John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you. And will be in you. And in verse 26. Of the same chapter. John 14 26. But the helper. The Holy Spirit. Whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things. That I said to you. So, yes, Messiah did promise us a helper, and that helper is the Holy Spirit. Go to John chapter 15, the very next page, probably, verse 26. But when the helper comes, when did the helper come? At Shavuot, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, that is Sunday. Yeah. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So the Holy Spirit testifies to us that Yeshua is the Messiah, the only begotten of God from time immemorial. In John 16, perhaps the same page, verse 7 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Did the disciples wanna hear Messiah say this? No, they don't want him to go. He says, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. And of righteousness. And of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 13. However, when he... The spirit of truth has come. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. I take great comfort in those words. I hope you do as well. Let's go back to Romans 8, verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. Who searches the hearts? That's God. So God knows what the Holy Spirit within us is thinking. Because he makes intercession for the saints According to the will of God. Uh oh. It doesn't say he makes intercession for all people, does it? It says he makes intercession for the saints. How does the Bible describe the saints? Let's go to Revelation 14. Daniel's exactly right. Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. That word saints is the same one as that word holy. Hagias. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. What's the difference between and and or? and means it's both right or means it's a choice or means it's a choice if we have the faith of yeshua then we will keep the commandments of god that's what our what our scriptures tell us that word hagios if you want to know the greek number is greek number 40 it's translated holy in our Bibles 161 times and it's translated saints 61 times and it's translated the Holy One four times. So the word for saints is the same word used for the Holy Spirit and for the Holy One of Israel. Let's go back to Matthew 28:19. Holy means set apart to God. And what sets us apart to God? Keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That word holy there is the same word. Haggios, same word as saints. Let's go back to Psalm 16. Ooh, that's a long way back. Psalm 16. Verse 3. As for the saints, the holy ones who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Would you like God to call you a delight? Then be one of the holy ones. Be one of the saints. Psalm 31, verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. So, which one is the saint, the faithful or the proud person? The faithful. Faithful in what? In their walk before the Lord? Psalm 34 verse 9 Oh fear the Lord you his saints there is no want or lack to those who fear him What does it mean to fear the Lord to obey him 37:28 Psalm 37 verse 28 For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. So are the saints the wicked or the righteous ones? The righteous ones. The wicked's. Eternal destination is the lake of fire. The saints' eternal destination is to live eternally. Life eternal. I know which of those I prefer. How about you? Psalm chapter 50, verse 5. Gather my saints together to me. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. What sacrifice has entered us into a covenant with almighty God? The blood of Messiah. In Matthew he says this cup is my blood of the new covenant. So the saints have entered into a covenantal relationship with God through the shed blood of Messiah. You know, our God is a God of covenants. I think there are lots of seminaries that need to be thinking about that as they teach the students before they send them out to the field. In what covenant do you and I live? The new covenant. The new covenant says the law is written upon our hearts and minds. Romans chapter 11. No, it's not Romans, it's Revelation. No, I still haven't gone to get my eyes checked. I got to do that one of these days. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 18. This is in a quote by the elders before the throne of God. We'll just start in verse 17 to make sure we get the whole quote. Verse 17 begins saying, that means a quote. We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. What song do we sing today that had those words in it? Hados, huh? Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. Talking about the tribulation period. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. That you should reward your servants, the prophets and the what? And the saints. Would you like a reward from God? then be one of the saints. And those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And then again in Revelation 14, verse 12. We were there just a few minutes ago. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Back to Romans chapter eight up to verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We've got to start breaking things out really finely now to those who love God. We know how God showed his love to us. He showed his love that while we were yet sinners, he sent his only begotten son. But how does God ask us to show our love to him? To sacrifice our firstborn child? No way. No way. God has never, ever asked you or I to sacrifice a child. So let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy. And we will see that God has never changed that which He asks of you and me. Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. Let me give you a chance to get there. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God. Do you believe that? Do you believe the Lord is God? The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. God keeps breaking things down into two hands. Do you love him and keep his commandments or do you hate him? I know I've said it a hundred times probably, but I haven't been keeping that close account. But the word love in English is an emotion. The word love in Biblical Hebrew is an action verb. So how do we show God our love? We keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. And now Israel. Do you understand the difference between the name Jacob and the name Israel? The man was born with the name Jacob. When did he get the name Israel? After he wrestled with God, he met God face to face. His nature was changed, and his name was changed to reflect the change in his nature. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord in the statutes which I command you today for your good. So what is the love of God? That we keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 11. Verse 1. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God. And keep his charge. His statutes. His judgments. And his commandments. Does that say for a little while? I can't read that. No that says always. Has always expired yet? No it has not. Same chapter, verse 13. And it shall be that if you earnestly, diligently obey my commandments, I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then I'll give you the rain for your land and its seas and the early rain and the latter rain. Oh, wow. In the book of Joel, what's the early lane and the latter reign referring to? First and second coming of Messiah are likened to the early and the latter reigns. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 3. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and it gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. Deuteronomy 30. Are you sensing a theme? Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 16. See, I have set before you today life and death. It actually says more specifically, life and good, death and evil. But it's life and death. Put life on one hand, death on the other, and then pick one. In that, oh, here's how he gave us the ability to pick. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, so that you do not hear. So if we don't hear, what changed? Our heart. And are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. How do we choose life? That's verse 20. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, That you may cling to him. That you may cling to him. How did Messiah put it in John chapter 15? Abide in me. Abide in me. Go to Joshua chapter 22. Verse 5. Joshua 22, verse 5. But take careful heed. What's that mean, to take careful heed? Pay attention and do it. Pay attention and do it, yeah. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law, the Torah, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And here we go to love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. You know what, probably the most common reaction is to me when I read a verse like this, when it says to keep his commandments?
1: That's
0: which ones? It doesn't say which ones, so I get to pick and choose. Nah. Yeah, I hear that's Old Testament too, but we're going to keep going right into the New Testament.
1: Twice, it starts off take careful heed to do the commandment, and then it says commandments. The commandment is to take heed to listen to obey, and the commandments are the whole one. The
0: whole thing. Yep. But
1: the commandment is to obey.
0: Mm-hmm. Chapter 23, verse 11. And that's the way Deuteronomy 6 starts, is the commandment. And then it branches out to the rest, Yep. Joshua 23, verse 11. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. He doesn't even expand and say, by doing this, that, and the other, he simply says to love the Lord your God. And assumes that by now, they know what that means. Let's add in Psalm 89, verse 34, as we're heading to the New Testament. Psalm 89, 34. This was one of those groundbreaking scriptures that when I read it for the 17th time and I finally understood it, I said, whoa, this is big, this is powerful. Of course, 17 is not the actual number. I'm just making one up. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. So if God has given a commandment that he said is to be done forever, will he then change his mind and say, don't do that? Yeah. What's
1: that? 34.
0: Psalm 89, 34, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Yes, you're right, that's Old Testament, so let's look at Matthew 4, 4, which is New Testament, which is the words of our Messiah from his own lips. Quoting from Deuteronomy 8, Messiah quotes these words to Satan. But he answered and said, it is written, where it's written is Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So how many of those words did God speak in the Old Testament that are no longer applicable? Every word is still important. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But Wayne, Paul said, yeah, Paul said the same thing in Second Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 16. Every Scripture is God-breathed. So every word that came out of the mouth of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul tells Timothy, which commandments of God don't apply anymore? They all still apply. Then God's not fair. Yes, God's very fair. We're going to read in Romans tomorrow, or maybe even tonight. Don't call God unfair. Go back to John 14, 15, in case we've forgotten. Of course, you can't forget, it's on my business cards, it's on the website, (laughs) it's everywhere. It's on my t-shirts, it's on the sign in the back of the room. If you love me, comma, keep my commandments. And then in case somebody says, yeah, but that wasn't God. Well, it was, but let's go to 1 John 5. 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. How can you read that and say, that tells me not to keep the commandments anymore? I don't know how you can. Well let's add to it, first John two five, since we're in first John anyway. First John two five. Yes, ma'am. let them show you that somewhere and of course they cannot Um, when they ask Messiah what are what's the great commandment in the law what did he say Love the Lord your God with our heart mind soul and strength your neighbor is yourself the end your neighbor is yourself isn't in the ten commandments is it Neither is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That one's in Deuteronomy 6. And the other's in Leviticus 19. And
1: he said this is the whole
0: of his prophet's The whole. Yep. Yep. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, it says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So, the love of God is to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, and then I've got a part two on this note. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Where I have two parts to this note. Now at the end of 28. To those who are called according to his purpose. Everything we're about to read about. Is to fulfill God's purpose. And what does God want? Does God want people to be lost? Or does God want people to be saved? He wants people to be saved. Will everyone accept God's call? No. Verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The word in there that causes so much controversy today is the word predestined. There is an entire doctrine out there called the doctrine of predestination that is not one doctrine. Across many denominations, it has many flavors. And I won't talk about them all, just the most extreme, which takes you almost to the point of fatalism. Which says that God is sovereign. You can do nothing to affect anything. God is sovereign. So according to that teaching, God put Adam and Eve in the garden, commanded them not to eat from the tree, then made them eat from the tree, even though they didn't want to. So he did that just so he could punish mankind sentence everyone to eternal death and curse the entire creation. And it was not a thing Adam and Eve could have done about it cuz God made them do that. When you and I sin it's not cuz we have a sin nature it's cuz God makes us sin and then he punishes us for the sin he made us commit. Y'all are looking at me like this is how can people believe this but There are people who do believe it. I was reading in my Baptist commentary over here, again, right before service, making sure it says what it says. Whoever wrote that chapter um, really likes predestination. But instead of going into what they talk about it to be, let's look at the verse and see what it says. First, it says, For whom he foreknew. Keep a finger here and turn back to First Kings Thirteen. First Kings Thirteen Verses one and two. First Kings Thirteen. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel, the man's a prophet, by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam, he's the king of the northern king of Israel, stood by the altar to burn incense. That's incense to a pagan god. Then he, that is the prophet, cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David, and on you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. How long in advance of Josiah's birth did this take place? Several hundred years. Not only did God know the child would be born, but he knew his name. He knows what he's going to do. And in fact, in Second Chronicles thirty-four, verse five, Josiah does these very things. Did God know before he created the heavens and the earth whether you would accept salvation through faith or not? Of course he did. Of course he did. By the way? Yes, ma'am. What was that reference to Second Chronicles? 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse, let me turn back there. 5. Verse, what? 34.5. 34.5. Okay, thank you, dear. 34.5. Josiah did exactly. Yes, God knows whether you and I will be saved or not. Predestination says God chooses you to be saved or not. You have no say in it which means in its most extreme form, they teach it's wrong to go out and preach the gospel. Because somebody who's going to be saved is gonna be saved anyway, anyway. and those who can't be saved, why torture them with hearing the gospel they can never receive? But we're gonna look in a few minutes to see what the Bible says on those issues. But first, let me make sure I read through verse 29 completely. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So there's a particular order here. And the order is this. Number one, God foreknew. Number two, those he foreknew, he predestined. But predestined for what? Not for heaven or hell. That's not what it says. It says predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Which means if we're going to be saved, we must be conformed to the image of his son. What's that? Yeah. Are there any scriptures that say, for instance, the apostle saying, "Imitate me," as I also imitate Messiah? Yeah. Let's go look at that. That's First Corinthians eleven one. So that in John about we
1: also walked.
0: Yeah, we'll look at that one after we do First Corinthians eleven one. Imitate me just as I also imitate Messiah. That's what it means to be conformed to the Son. To be like the Son. And that word predestined there, you could also use as the very same meaning, predetermined. That God predetermined that those who will be saved by faith will be required to walk as Messiah walked. So go to 1 John chapter 2. As Dr. Bob said.
1: Actually, he's just saying that they will, not that they must. The the Presbyterian extreme is a dance where God's got to do his part and you've got to do your part. And God is just as predestined to his part as you are to your part, (laughs) which is not exactly freedom of anybody.
0: Yeah. What the scripture tells us, though, is you and I have a choice. What did we read a few minutes ago in Deuteronomy 30? I said before you today, life and death choose life. Predestination choose. says you have no right to choose.
1: And those who love God and are called according to his purpose, <coughs> what else would they choose? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you love this person, who else would you ask to marry you?
0: Exactly. Exactly. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That is to be conformed to the image of the son. To want to be obedient to God as Messiah was obedient. So if you're going to be saved, this is what is just natural. Natural. The scripture tells us that if you choose not to walk according to the commandments of God, it's because you are not saved. So number one, foreknowledge. Number two, predestined to be in the image of his son. Number three is to be called. Number four, to be justified. Number five, to be glorified. Now let's break it down a little more. Let's go to Ephesians chapter one. If you do not love God and keep his commandments, the scripture says, is because you're not saved. And I've just heard a whole bunch of very famous preachers on YouTube saying, oh no, that's not true. But that's what the Bible says. Ephesians 1.5 Having predestined us Who? Us. Let's go up to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Messiah Yeshua. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Yeshua the Messiah to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He chose that for those of us who will be saved by faith he will adopt us. We will be grafted in and we'll become children of God. That's what the whole New Testament teaches.
1: There's a free will tied in to the predestination in that verse.
0: Yes, there is, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look also at, verse 11, in him Also, we have obtained an inheritance. That's talking about eternal life. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Messiah should be to the praise of his glory. So we who first trusted in Messiah. Have obtained an inheritance. The inheritance is eternal life. God said those who come to faith through the shed blood of my son shall have eternal life. That's the predestination we're talking about. So get John three sixteen. I know everybody can quote me John three sixteen. But I want you to think about it in the context of do we have free will or don't we? Those who teach predestination teach you have no free will. You must be saved whether you want to or not. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So how do we gain the promise of everlasting life? Because we believe in him, because we choose to believe in him. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Yes, God knows whether you will or won't accept salvation by faith through the Shed blood of Messiah. But the scripture says, Whosoever will may come. Predestination says, No, no, that's not true. Yes, the Bible is true. Romans 10 9 and 10. The very well, same book. Yes, sir.
1: It always um, seems to me that when Jesus um, looks at Jerusalem and says, um, I I, was, I wanted to gather you as, as, as chicks, but you would not. Yep. That means got to, it's got to be them that choose. Right. It can't, be, it can't be predestination in the sense that some people say that. Right. Because so, it would make no sense otherwise.
0: Yep. So Matthew 23 specifically says, but you were not willing. So it's not that God didn't want them to choose him. It's that they were not willing. So I'm agreeing with you. I'm just trying to lay this foundation because I get a lot of this question. I really do. He gave them
1: the choice. That's, that was free will again. He gave them the choice. Gave
0: them choice. So predestination says, no, he did not. He only pretended to. You're either
1: condemned to heaven or <laughs> condemned to
0: hell. Yeah. That's
1: predestination.
0: Yeah, and that's not scriptural. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And notice right above that in verse 8 it says, What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Where's that quoting from? Do you know? Deuteronomy chapter 30. The very section that says, I set before you today life and death. So choose life. Alrighty. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11:1. Imitate me as I also imitate the Messiah. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. If you're in him, you will walk as he walked. We looked at those. Let's add 1 Corinthians 4:16. Therefore I urge you imitate me. Why would Paul be urging them to imitate me if they didn't have a choice whether to or not? Would make no sense, right?
1: Same as Paul keeping himself under subjection (laughs) so that he won't be cast away.
0: That's right. Philippians three seventeen. Repent, turn, turn. Always calling people to return, to repent, to come back to God.
1: So if the, if the theory of predestination holds true, then that means God had no reason to destroy Jerusalem or all that because he was going to choose who he was going to save and the rest of them. Like, so why did he say turn, turn, turn if they didn't have choice in the matter?
0: You are absolutely correct. Let's go on to... 1 Thessalonians, no, did we do Philippians yet, 3.17? No, we didn't yet. Philippians 3.17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. There would be no reason to say anything like that if we didn't have a choice whether to follow him or not. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, First Thessalonians 1.6 And you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. You became followers of us having received the word. You know what the doctrine of predestination comes down to?
1: No free will.
0: No free will. But it means we should all walk in sin. Because if God chose us to be saved, we're going to be. There's nothing we can do about it. And if he didn't, we may as well have fun in this world. Because we've got the lake of fire to look forward to anyway.
1: What's your expression? Genoite? genoite.
0: Me genoite. God forbid. Absolutely. God forbid. Yes, sir. All right, let's make a note of that. In 1 Thessalonians 1-6, the word here that says followers is the same word as imitators in the earlier scripture. 1 Corinthians what? 1 Corinthians 11-1, the one I just said a minute ago. Yep, okay. Back to Romans 8, we're up to verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, that is he determined that those who are saved by faith will have life eternal. Those who reject God and choose to follow their own path in life will end up in the lake of fire. These he also called. We see that word called a lot in the New Testament writings. Let's go back to Romans 1.1. This very first chapter of the same book. Paul, a bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. How did the Lord call Paul? (laughs)
1: Literally.
0: Face to face, on the road to Damascus. Could Paul have said... No, not going to do it. I hate you. It would have ended right there. It would have ended right there, but he could have. So, why did he choose to change everything about his life? Because he did love the Lord. Because he thought he was doing the Lord. He thought he was doing right. He was zealous without knowledge. When he realized that what he was doing was hurting the very Lord he thought he was serving, it broke his heart. And he changed because he chose to change. Now also in Romans 1 let's look at verse 6. It says we are what? Among whom you also are the called of Yeshua the Messiah. To all who are in Rome beloved of God called to be saints. Who were called to be Saints
1: those who have God face to face and chosen
0: Father those who have been saved by faith this same word saints is the same one in Revelation fourteen twelve, who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua in First Corinthians chapter 1 Paul goes about it the same way talking about the called First Corinthians 1 1 Paul called to be an apostle of Yeshua the Messiah through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. And then verse 2. To the church of God which is at Corinth. To those who are sanctified. What sanctified mean? Set apart. Set apart. And Messiah Yeshua called to be saints. Same Revelation twelve seventeen and fourteen twelve with all who in every place call on the name of Yeshua Messiah our Lord, both theirs and ours. All who in every place call on the name of Yeshua our Messiah. Then to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 to 16 because it's a parable about the kingdom of heaven for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard who knows who the landowner is That's God. So you know what the parable is about already. Now when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. How much did he promise to give them? No. No. The first group, in verse 2, he promised to narrate. In verse 4, he said, whatever is right. It doesn't say how much. Whatever's right. Whatever's right. Verse 5, again, he went out about the 6th and the ninth hour and did likewise. So the ninth hour is 3 p.m. already. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle. and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you'll receive. So how much did he promise every group other than the first? Whatever is right. So an evening had come. That's just an hour later. The owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. When the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. How much were they promised? A denarius. And they likewise received each a denarius, and they're mad. When they'd received it, they complained against the landowner, saying these last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. They answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last for many are called, but few chosen. That's the verse I want us to get to. For many are called, but few chosen. When talking about the kingdom of heaven, how many of those called actually will make it into the kingdom? Few. If the doctrine of predestination is right, and God called all whom he predestined, how many would be going into heaven? (laughs) All of them. But that's not the way it is. For many are called, but few are chosen. What does this relate back to, Matthew chapter what? Chapter 7, the broad road and the narrow road. All those on both roads think they're going to eternal life. But which group really are? The few. All were called, but few were chosen. I heard a pastor today say something that that really broke my heart. He was talking about end times prophecy, of course, or I wouldn't have been listening. He referred back to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Noah preached for 120 years, and how many people listened outside of his family? None. Lot is described in Hebrews 11 as a preacher of righteousness. How many people did he manage to bring out of Sodom and Gomorrah other than his family? None. That's kind of sad. Matthew 22, another parable, verses 1 to 14. I like parables. His wife started out, but then what? She looked back. Which means she didn't really want to go home. And she became a salt shaker. Hmm that's sad Matthew 22 1 and Yeshua answered and spoke to them again by parables and said the king of heaven is like a certain king yeah that's God who arranged a marriage for his son that's Yeshua and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come which means they exercised what free will he called them and they said no Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, meaning what? They said no and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants. These are the prophets, treated them spitefully and killed them. When the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. But the point is what? He called them and they said no. They refused. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So who do they invite? Everybody. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. How did they get the wedding garments back in those days? They were provided by the father of the bride. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen. They were all called but many refused to come and those who were not really saved they were cast out into the lake of fire. Okay, enough said about predestination except for the rest that's to come. So let's go back to Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Which is true. If God's on our side, what can Satan do to us? The difference between saints and prophets, the prophets were those who prophesied and spoke forth the word of God, what was going to happen in the future. And the saints are just the ordinary believers. Not every saint is called to be a prophet. If you remember, prophets didn't really want the job. (laughs) They didn't get treated very well. So verse 32 He who did not spare his own son. What happened to God's own son? He was crucified for us. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who are the us? The saints. Romans 8 verses 16 to 18. Just a a week or so ago, we covered this. The Spirit himself also bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah. Where's that little word? If. Indeed, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. In other words, you cannot lose your faith. You cannot give it up. No matter what Satan wants to do to us. Even if it costs us our very life, we must hang in there and be faithful. So back to Romans 8 verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That word elect in Greek is uh, electonus. It means chosen. So back in verse, where was it? Verse 30. They used the word chose. Okay. Same word, elect chosen. Matthew chapter 20, what does it mean to be the elect of God, the chosen of God? How many of you heard the phrase, the chosen people? And that's right, Israel was God's elect, Israel was God's chosen, and how many of those got to go into the promised land? They were above 22, yep. And who were they? Joshua and Caleb. But the rest were the elect of God and chosen. What happened? They chose to walk away. Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. They chose to walk away because they lacked something important. And what was that? Faith. Faith. That's what Hebrews chapters 1 through 4 are all about. Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few chosen. I know we just looked at that parable a minute ago, but that word chosen there is the very same word as the word elect in Romans chapter 8, and I just want you to see that it really is the same thing. Matthew 22, 14. We looked at this parable a minute ago, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Same word as elect in Romans chapter 8, verse 33. And Matthew 24, which we didn't go to a minute ago. I thought we should do something new. Three different verses in Matthew 24 refer to the elect or the chosen. Matthew 24, verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Who are the elect? The chosen, those that have chosen to be saved by faith. What verse was that? Verse 22. Yep. And then two verses later, verse 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The elect referring to those that have been saved by faith. Same chapter, verse 31. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. That's the shofar haggadol. On what festival day does that sound? On Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. On what date does the tribulation period end? The day of atonement, Jom Kippur. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That's referring to all those that have gotten saved by faith during the tribulation period. They get brought into the Messianic kingdom on earth alive. Let's look also at Colossians chapter 3. Oops, I see two red numbers out there. Let's see what they are. The answer to the first question is yes on Sunday we will have a Shavuot service at 10.30 in the morning ah yeah Margot makes a really good point so after the Colossians 3 we will look at her point because that's a really good one Colossians 3.12 therefore as the elect of God now this tells us who the elect of God is Holy, that's that same word Hagias. That's the same word as saints. And beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness and long-suffering. Margot's point is, let's look at Revelation 3:15. The Church of Laodicea. Revelation chapter three, verse 15. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. If the doctrine of predestination is true, then God would have made them either cold or hot. Vessels fit for destruction. Yep, there wouldn't be any reason to wish they were cold or hot. He would simply make them one or the other. So he says, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What does he say to virtually all these churches? They must repent. So they are not robots being forced to do good as much as they want to do evil. They have to do good, darn it. It just doesn't work that way. Go back to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, I hope there's five chapters, there are. Verse 21. Oh, this is a deep one. I charge you before God and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah and the elect angels, that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality, the elect angels or chosen angels. So Satan and the angels that fell with him fell because God made them. He forced them to sin so they could kick them out of him. You all look at me like, no, uh-uh. You're right. They had free will just as you and I have free will. 1 Peter 2. And really, the objection of those who teach predestination, all that we're saying is then you're saying that God is not sovereign, that God doesn't control everything you do. How many of you have ever fallen off a bicycle and scraped your knee? God made you do that because he wanted to hurt you. Oh, that's ridiculous. Okay. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. God loves us, each and every one. 1 Peter 2, 9. Loved us so much, he sent his only begotten son for us. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, there's that same word, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did God call us? Yes, he did. Did we choose to respond to the call? Yes, we did.
1: thousand year rain house
0: or is there scripture that kind of... ah, okay for those who cannot hear thomas he's had the scripture used to say that there will not be sacrifices in the millennial kingdom so is there a place that says there will be yes turn to ezekiel chapter 43 ezekiel chapter 43 The Lord returns in Ezekiel chapter 43, so we all know it hasn't happened yet. In fact, this is one scripture where virtually all theologians, both Jewish and Christian, will agree this hasn't happened yet. Verse 1, afterward he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. What do we call that gate? The eastern Eastern Gate. gate. Yes, this is not hard stuff. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. That's Messiah returning from the Mount of Olives. His voice was like the sound of many waters. That's how it's described in Revelation 115 and Revelation 18.1. And the earth shone with his glory. That is just as it did in Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 5, the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. That's the inner court of the temple. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then I heard him speaking to me from the temple, while a man stood beside me, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne. That is, that's where Messiah will rule and reign over the kingdom, right? And the place of the soles of my feet, which means ownership and possession, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. So has this happened yet? No. Let's see, um, verse 18, same chapter, Messiah is sitting on the throne, said to me, son of man, thus says the Lord God, it's actually the Lord, the Lord, my Lord, the Lord, in fact, these are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it's made, for sacrificing burnt offerings on it, and for sprinkling blood on it. You shall give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites, who are the seed of Zadok, who approach me to minister to me, says the Lord God. You shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar, on the four corners of the ledge, and on the rim around it. Thus you shall cleanse it and make atonement for it. You shall also take the bull of the sin offering and burn it in the appointed place of the temple outside the sanctuary. On the second day, you shall offer a kid of the goats without blemish for a sin offering, and they shall cleanse the altar as they cleansed it with the bull. When you finish cleansing it, you shall offer a young bull without blemish and a ram from the flock without blemish. When you offer them before the Lord, the priest shall throw salt on them. They shall offer them as a burnt offering to the Lord. Every day for seven days, you shall prepare a goat for a sin offering They shall also prepare a young bull and a ram from the flock, both without blemish. Seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it and so consecrate it. When these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day. And thereafter, the priest shall offer your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar. And I will accept you, says the Lord God. and from there to the end of Ezekiel it reads about all the different sacrifices that come okay he says that's good let's go back to Romans 8 verse 34 oh my we're almost out of time so let me hurry verse 34 who is he who condemns that is who judges on judgment day and condemns people to lake of fire it's our Messiah right says "It is Messiah who died, and furthermore is also written, risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32. First Corinthians 11, verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 6. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 6. and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. What's that mean? That means you want to live ungodly? Think of how they were destroyed by fire. And you start getting the idea why that's a bad idea to live ungodly. John five twenty two John five twenty two For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Is that consistent with what Paul said in Romans 8:34? Absolutely. Psalm 110:1, 1. all the way back in the Psalms. Yep, Psalm 110:1. 1. The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand, so till I make your enemies your footstool." Psalm 110:1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand so I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion or Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So Messiah Yeshua who sits and rules and reigns in the Messianic kingdom will bear the rod of judgment. In Isaiah 55, 12, Isaiah fifty five twelve and then just one more cross reference. Isaiah fifty five twelve. It's fifty three twelve. Can't read my own writing. Ah yes. Therefore, I will divide him, that's Messiah, a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Verse 34 talked about him being our intercessor between God and man. That was prophesied all the way back in Isaiah 53, verse 12. The last cross reference is in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now let me put it in my own colloquial, down-home Georgia ways. Our judge is our defense lawyer, and it doesn't get any better than that. The word Satan is not a name, it's a title. It means the adversary. That's the term for the prosecutor in a Jewish court. So Satan's saying, look what he did, and Messiah's saying, yeah, I know, I covered it in my blood. Next. And with that, we have come to the end of our time. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Romans chapter 8, verse 35.